0: Everybody loves a victory parade. Perhaps you've seen video or pictures of the great ticker tape parades that took place after victory in Europe was declared at the conclusion of World War II or more recent examples. It's a big deal now when a sports team wins a championship, they go back to their City and they have a big victory parade and thousands upon thousands turn out for that to cheer on their favorite team. Everyone loves a victory parade. Well, this morning I want to talk about a victory parade that relates directly to the victor who is Jesus, and I want to show you how Jesus had a victory parade and. I want us to think about what that means for us. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to continue reading line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful epistle, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 4, verse Seven. So when you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Happy Father's Day, dads. Do you enjoy the Father's Day men's ensemble this morning? Awesome, awesome. So grateful for Jesus. How about you? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What a verse. Therefore it says, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions... The earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your goodness, your grace, your unfailing presence, your compassion, your concern your constant activity in our lives. We're grateful today that we can call you Father. And as we study your word, I pray that you would move in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have comprehension, understanding of your word, and that we would, Lord, understand how the passage we're studying applies to our lives And then, Holy Spirit, would you move in such a way that we would have the inclination, the the wherewithal to respond to what you show us. For the glory and the fame and renown of your great name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen, as we've worked our way through Ephesians, that the overall theme is simple yet profound. The theme is this, we experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. Here in chapter 4, Paul begins this section by exhorting the Christians in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, In other words, now that they've been saved by the glorious grace of Christ, he's he's exhorting them to to let their life show the difference that Jesus has made. He's he's exhorting them to live in such a way that their their walk lines up more and more with their talk. Now, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul deals with the issue of unity. We spent two weeks talking about uh, being zealous for unity in the body of Christ. And he's going to begin talking a little bit later in chapter 4 about maturity, what it means to become more like Jesus. But in between the section on unity and maturity, there is a transitional section. In fact, there's a transitional statement there in verse 7 when he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul wants the the believers in Ephesus to understand, and this is very important, that unity is not uniformity. He, He wants them to understand you are to be one in Christ on the same page, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, but that God had designed them and gifted them in unique ways so they contribute in different ways to the body of Christ. So in the midst of unity, there is a diversity, and it comes from Jesus. He speaks there of the, 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 the gift giver giving these gifts to his body. And so he wants to understand that Christ gives different gifts in different proportions to different people. And as Paul discusses the gift giver, Jesus giving out these gifts, he alludes to the triumph and the victory that our Savior secured. And he wants to show us how the victory of Christ is the basis for all of our blessings. The basis for these gifts that Jesus Christ gives us. Now we know here he's highlighting the victory of Jesus because of the imagery that he uses. Look what it says there in verse 8. Therefore it says, what's the it refer to? It refers to the Bible. It refers specifically to the Old Testament passage, Psalm 68, verse 18. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Psalm 68 is a psalm about a triumphal procession of the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Mount Zion. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God, and often they would take it out into battle. As if to say, God is leading our, our people into battle. And so after one of these victorious battles, they are bringing the ark back into Jerusalem, back to Mount Zion. As they are following the ark to Mount Zion, there's a a, a victory parade. And Psalm 68 is a song of, of triumph. They're celebrating in this psalm the victories of God as they ascend Mount Zion. So the, the victorious ascension of the ark is a picture of the victorious ascension of Christ. I like how R. Kent Hughes says that Paul is simply borrowing the image of, of, of imagery of Psalm 68 and applying it to Christ's incarnation and ascension. So Paul's saying, like the victory parade that took place behind the ark, going to Mount Zion, Jesus led a victory parade when he died was resurrected and ascended back to heaven. Now this imagery of a victory parade would have meant a great deal to the people in Ephesus. They understood victory parades. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus makes reference to the great triumphal processions of the Roman emperors. When an emperor or a general would win a great battle... They would ride back into the city amid the cheers of the people and with great fanfare. Victory parades were common in the first century in the Roman Empire. So when Paul alludes to a victory parade, the people say, I I understand victory parades. And Paul's saying, do you understand that Jesus led a victory parade? So this passage is all about... Christ victory, victory in Jesus. What I want to do is I want to walk through these verses very quickly and I want to show you some aspects of Christ's victory, four in particular. If you look there in your notes, number one, the cross won the victory. The cross won the victory. There in verse 8 it applies, Psalm 68, verse 18, to Jesus. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Jesus Christ was leading a victory parade. So this leads to the question, what enabled Jesus to have a victory parade? Why was he praying victoriously as he ascended back to heaven? Well, the answer is, his victory was won by his sacrificial death. Jesus Christ left heaven and came to this earth. He took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary and lived on this earth as the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And he lived a perfect life and he came to obey the Father. And the Father sent him To go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. My sins and your sins. Jesus Christ came to shed his blood, to die in our place, to take the wrath and punishment that we deserve. Jesus came to be a substitutionary atonement for our sins. And Jesus Christ did exactly that. Jesus Christ, of his own volition... In obedience to the Father, because of how much he loves you and me, Jesus Christ allowed himself to be betrayed and arrested and mocked and beaten and spit upon. He allowed men to to rip the beard from his face and, and, and to thrust a crown of thorns down on his brow. You say, Pastor Wade, how do we know that Jesus was allowing this? How do we know that Jesus was not a victim of circumstances beyond his control? Because Jesus told the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't you understand? I could call 12 legions of angels and put an end to this? I don't have to go through this. I'm choosing to go through this. So Jesus allowed Men to mock him and mistreat him and flog him and eventually nail his hands and his feet to a cruel wooden cross. And Jesus hung there from from nine in the morning to, to three in the afternoon, bearing the sins of the world, suffering great physical and spiritual anguish as the Father turned his face away. Jesus Christ took the full wrath and fury of God that our sins deserve, and he died on the cross for our sins. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross and defeated sin finally and forever, he, listen, he won the victory. He, this enabled him to have a victory prayed. Let me read you a passage from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Paul writing here says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did God forgive us? How does that work? How does that happen? He goes on to say in verse 14, By canceling the record of debt, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In the first century, when you were were arrested for a crime, they would, in some places, put you into a a, a jail cell, and they they would nail over the door a certificate of debt that listed all of your crimes and the reason you were in jail. This verse says, Jesus took our list, our certificate of debt, with all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our guilt, all of our shame, and he took it and nailed it to his own cross. What was the result? It says there, he canceled the record of debt. When someone had served their time, and they had fulfilled their obligation. They would be released from jail and they would take that certificate of debt down off of the, the, the top of the door frame and they would write on it a word in, in the first century. The word was telesty, which means paid in full. So the Bible says that Jesus took all of our sins on himself. He nailed your certificate of debt and my certificate of debt to his cross. And just before Jesus breathed his last, you know what he said? He cried out, it is finished, the Greek word, tetelestai. It is paid in full. So the Bible tells us Jesus died on the cross To forgive us for all of our sins on our certificates of debt. It is finished. It is paid in full. Jesus won the victory. And listen to what happens next in Colossians chapter 2. It said, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He paid it in full. He shed His blood. He took the penalty. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. But listen to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's speaking of spiritual rulers and authorities. That's speaking of Satan and his demons. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he finished the work of redemption, when he shed his own blood and cried, It is finished, he disarmed Satan. Now think about it. What's Satan's chief weapon against us? Our sin which separates us from God. And Satan's goal is to keep as many people separated from God as possible so they will die and go to hell. But when Jesus died on the cross and shed his own blood, he was saying, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be separated from God. You can be forgiven. I've paid the penalty for your sin. Satan no longer has that power over you it reads like this in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he cried, it is finished, it is paid in full. Our redemption was accomplished at Calvary. Forgiveness, salvation, justification... Eternal life, it's yours. It's a gift that you receive by faith. So the victory that's being celebrated in Ephesians 4 was won at the cross. Secondly, I want you to see that our Savior proclaimed the victory. Look what it says back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Now verse 8 teaches that Christ had his own triumphal procession when he ascended to the Father. He died on the cross. He was buried. Early on the third day he rose from the grave defeating death itself. And then he ascended back to the Father. And Paul says in that ascension Jesus was leading a victory parade. Now... 9 and 10 in this section, verses 9 and 10, provide some explanation about the events leading up to his ascension. And it really boils down to verse 9 when it says, He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Now what does that mean? He descended into the lower regions of the earth. Now there are two basic interpretations, two major interpretations. There are others, but two major interpretations The first is that this refers to the incarnation. That Jesus left heaven and came way, way down to earth and took on humanity, humbled himself by taking on the weakness and frailty of human flesh. He left unceasing worship to come and bear mocking and mistreatment for our sins. Some people believe that when it says he, he descended into the lower regions of the earth, it speaks of him coming way, way down in the sense of his incarnation. The phrase in that interpretation, lower regions of the earth, is meant to provide a stark contrast with heaven to show the step of selfless humility that Christ made. But I lean toward a second interpretation. I'm grateful for the incarnation, but I don't believe that's what's being said here in this passage when you relate it to other passages of Scripture. I believe this verse that says he descended into the lower regions of the earth refers to what happened. Now listen to me. This is going to get kind of crazy for a moment. Just listen to me. It refers to what happened between his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. It refers to what happened in the spirit after Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe this verse, I'll show you why in a moment, I believe this verse that he ascended to the lower regions speaks of the fact that Jesus went to proclaim victory in the spiritual realm of the dead. He went to proclaim victory in the spiritual realm of the dead. Now here's why I believe that. The word lower there, it it, it means to, to be in a position. Below a point of orientation. So it's not just talking about coming to the earth. It's talking about something lower than the earth, so to speak. And the word regions is the word meros or parts. Some translations it's translated the lower parts of the earth. And and, and that word meros or parts means a portion of the whole. So when it says he came to the lower regions of the earth, it's it's not talking about just coming to the earth. It's talking about a a part, an aspect, not the entire thing. The same word is used in verse 16. Look what it says in verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, The whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. That's the same word, part. It speaks of different parts of one body. So this, this word parts speaks of, of a particular aspect of Christ descending. So I don't believe this verse is talking about the the earth as a whole. It's talking about a specific place. A specific place. And when you put lower together with that word regions or parts, it describes a particular aspect of what happened between Jesus breathing his last before he was raised from the dead. I believe, now listen to me, that between his death, in his resurrection, Jesus in his spirit went to the place of the dead. The Old Testament calls it Sheol. The place of the dead. The holding place before final judgment. Now you say, wait, that sounds kind of wacky. Never heard that before. Let me show you why I believe this. Turn over to, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. When you begin to look at other passages, this begins to make more sense. 1 Peter chapter 3, look what it says in verse 18. If you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, that speaks of the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What a verse. Being put to death in the flesh, he died on the cross, he breathed his last but made alive in the Spirit. Now look what it says in verse 19. In which, in the Spirit, He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Apparently, There were some demonic spirits in the days of Noah that were so wicked that God took them and put them in a special holding place before final judgment. You say, Pastor, i never heard that before. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. It says, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness... To be kept until judgment. And that word hell is not the word Gehenna. It's not the word Hades. The word hell there in 2 Peter 2 verse 4 is the word Tartarus. It's some other place where these fallen, sinful, wicked angels, these demons were placed until final judgment. And I believe that's what 1 Peter 3 is talking about. Now when it says there that, that Jesus in the spirit went proclaimed to the spirits in prison... Some people believe that means that Jesus went and preached the gospel to those that died before his time. That's not what it means. That's not. It's not the word euangelion or evangelism or sharing the good news. The word there is keruso. Is it means to proclaim. So here's what I believe happened between the death of Jesus and his resurrection. I believe that he descended to a lower region. To the place of the dead. To a place like Tartarus where the the demons were being held until final judgment. And I believe that he went there to proclaim his ultimate victory over Satan and over the demonic realm because he died on the cross. He could go and say, I've won the victory. Now you say, Why would he write these kind of things to Christians in Asia Minor in 1 Peter? He's writing to Christians all throughout Asia Minor. And and what would this passage mean to them? Some obscure reference to going to the spirits in prison and proclaiming victory? I believe that it would mean a great deal to them because we know that the, the Christians in Asia Minor were going through fiery trials, the Bible says. They were being persecuted for their faith. So it would have been very encouraging for them to hear. I know you're going through difficult times. But Christ has won the victory. Don't be disturbed or scared of Satan and his angels. Christ went and declared victory over the demonic realm. You are on the winning team. And so back in Ephesians chapter 4. The victory was accomplished at the cross, but the victory was declared by Jesus in the spiritual realm between his death and his resurrection. But then the victory was celebrated at the resurrection and ascension. Look back with me in Ephesians chapter 4. It says there in verse 8, He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. A victory parade. It says there, verse 10, He who descended way, way down lower regions is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The victory was celebrated. Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm led a great victory prayed after his resurrection as he ascended back to the Father to sit at the right hand of God. And it says there, applying... of Psalms to, to, to Christ, it says there he led captive a host of captives. Now back to first century Rome. When a Roman emperor came into the city victorious or a general, it was customary for them to have their enemies chained to their chariot. They would stumble and walk along beside the chariot as vanquished foes. And the chaining of enemies to the chariot was to demonstrate his power, the the, the victor's power over the enemy and the end result of the battle. So when Paul says that Jesus led captive a host of captives, I believe he's referring to the enemies that, that he conquered. The enemies that you and I face. Sin, death, Satan, demons... Jesus Christ defeated them all when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And in this victory prayed, he's showing his power over those enemies. His ultimate triumph. Back to Colossians 2. I didn't read the last part of verse 15. But listen to what it says in verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, I mentioned that earlier. Listen to this. Oh, this is a great verse. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ won the victory in the spiritual realm, he publicly triumphed over them, he made a display showing his victory. And I believe that's what it's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. Is talking about this victory parade. Sin and Satan and death and demons chained to his chariot because Jesus defeated them all. The victory was celebrated at the resurrection and ascension. When Christ proclaimed victory to the enemy, and he rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, There was something going on in the spiritual realm. The entire spiritual realm, angels, demons. The entire spiritual realm was witness to a public display of the triumph of Christ. He had gone to the place of the dead and said, You are defeated! And now he's showing everyone in the spiritual realm that he had won the victory. Which leads to number four, and here's how we'll close. We've talked about Christ. Accomplishing the victory at the cross, Christ proclaiming his victory to the spirits in prison, Tartarus, the lower regions. Christ celebrating his victory in this victory, prayed but forth and last. Here's what you need to understand. Here's how it applies to you and to me. His victory, listen, is our victory. Because look what it says back in verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now listen, if you read this verse in Psalm 68, verse 18, there's a difference between the way that Paul uses it here in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, Psalm 68, it says that he received gifts. Here it says he gave gifts. Paul brings out that aspect. How do we reconcile that? Did he receive gifts? Did he give gifts? The answer is yes. Back to the first century. When a general or emperor would ride into town leading a victory parade, a triumphal procession, he would often take the spoils of battle, the things he had won in battle, and then he would distribute them to the soldiers and to the people to show his... Kindness toward them. And I believe this triumphal procession of Christ conveys that. Jesus triumphed. He won all the spoils. But now as the victorious Savior, listen, He gives us some gifts. He gives us that which we need to serve him he distributes the spoils he gives gifts to the church to Christians because look what it says there in verse 7 grace was given to each one of us according to the measure, measure of Christ's gift God God gave us grace through Christ according to his gift he distributed gifts to his church and then in verse 10 He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. As the victorious Savior, he he fills us up with that which we need. What a picture of victory and how that victory directly affects us, the church. Here's what it means. Now listen to me carefully. This means that the risen... Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious Lord Jesus Christ has given you and given me specific gifts. And these gifts allow us to serve Him effectively. These gifts allow us to be the church He calls us to be. Now, we're going to talk about some of the specific gifts next week. But before we get into specifics, just remember that in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says, if you are a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift. God, through Christ, has given you something with which to empower you to serve Him. And every believer has a spiritual gift, a special empowerment for service. In other words... His victory is our victory. Because Jesus Christ won the victory, He now pours out His gifts on us and fills us to overflowing with exactly what we need to serve Him, to live for Him, to be a witness in this dark world. His victory is our victory. Which leads me to this question and other questions. If all of this is true, and it is, Ephesians chapter 4, obviously using triumphal procession imagery to speak of Christ, if Christ is is victorious, if Satan is a defeated foe, why do we cower? Why do we let Satan have his way in our lives and in our families? Why do we sit back apathetic and complacent when we have been given great gifts from the victor himself? Why do we live defeated when Christ has won the victory? Now, I can anticipate what some of you might be saying. Pastor Wade, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on out there. But... Our society is rapidly declining and becoming more and more secular and ungodly. Ungodly, immoral things are being celebrated in our culture. That which is right is being called wrong, and that which is wrong is being called right. Everything is turned upside down, and now Christians are the enemy. The culture is turning its hatred and and contempt on those who name the name of Christ and, and believe in His Word... And it's becoming increasingly hostile for Christians. And by the way, there are wars going on in our world. And and things seem like they are spinning out of control. Pastor Wade, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but it seems like we're losing. Which is precisely why you need to remember this passage. Listen to me. Satan is a defeated foe. Now he's raging. Revelation 12. He's raging. He's the dragon. He's mad because he's lost. But he is a defeated foe. So we listen, as Christians, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen? Because Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death and Satan, and he just pours out his gifts upon us so we can be the victorious, triumphant, spirit filled church of Jesus Christ. And listen and, and, and push back the darkness all around us. Listen, if Satan is defeated, should we be pushing back darkness? We should. We got to remember. Christ has given us gifts to do it. Let's use those gifts to be the church he's called us to be for the glory of King Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.